Welcome back to the Meraki Unboxed podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner, and I'm going to be taking you through today's episode, which I am super excited about. Per usual, we have an amazing guest, and I can't wait to introduce him in just a second. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and make my standard plug. If you haven't already done so and you love this podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you hit that little subscribe button. Tell your friends and family about the Meraki Unbox podcast. It just keeps getting better and we want you to come back and listen to all of the content. And speaking of content, if you have any ideas or you'd like to be on the show or you want to contribute in some way, we would love to hear from you. So go ahead and plug at Meraki Simon, tweet him, and we will collect your ideas. And if it makes sense, we'll absolutely have you on the show and we'd love to collaborate in some way, shape or form. Let's transition now and get into the fun part, which is where I get to introduce our guest today. So joining us, we have Brett Hall. He is the CTO at Meraki. So a little bit of background before we meet Brett. He joined the organization in 2010 as a software engineer. Uh, then became Meraki's CTO back in 2014 and added a VP title uh, in 2015. So he's been pretty busy. Not only has he built a very successful engineering organization and team here in the U.S., but he has taken this team and expanded it globally. Uh, his story truly is an example of how we invest in our employees at Meraki, and I can't wait to hear from him. Welcome to the podcast, Brett. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Sammy. It's great to be here. As they say, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Love it. Well, I'm glad that uh, you and I can can do this for the first time and, and go through the, the episode today. I'm sure our listeners are thrilled that you are our guest. So I think it's always important to kind of set the stage. So Brett, tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, first of all, what did you do before Cisco Meraki? And I guess even before that, what led you to a career in engineering? My my love of engineering really kind of started, I think, early, you know, in my upbringing. My kind of my, my dad was an electrical engineer and my mom was a teacher. And so there was kind of definitely a both love of like learning and science. And so growing up, I was always building things, physics kits, science clubs. Um, and it was really kind of at that kind of like moment as the kind of internet was really coming on the scene in the kind of early to kind of mid nineties, um, that kind of really sparked my imagination around like what was, what was possible with computers and networking and kind of the combination of experiencing it a bit in the classroom and the hobby, as well as seeing what my dad did as a career in engineering kind of really cemented in my mind that like, that was the path that I wanted to go down from there. That that's where I knew that when I, when I left for college at, at Berkeley, I was going to study computer science. And that was something that I really wanted to throw myself into because it, I had so much fun doing it kind of like as a, as a child building computing systems myself in my, in my spare time. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's amazing that you knew from such a young age. So it was definitely kind of a, a passion of yours, maybe before you even realized it. You just love doing it. I, I think that's one of the things that um, I feel kind of lucky that it was when it came to knowing that I wanted to be in engineering, I wouldn't say there was a long period of wandering. It was something that's been a, a lifelong passion. And I just remember like the the early days, you know, nonstop thinking about building my own computers, setting up BBS systems, learning to program, all these things that were, you know, so seminal and kind of like when Windows 95 and Windows XP launched, those kind of moments that just made me really excited about the tech industry in particular, um, that I knew it was something that was, was going to be 
what I wanted to spend my, my life doing. Wow. That's incredible. So, so let's transition. How did you hear about Meraki? How, how did you get there? Yeah. So after I, after I studied uh, at UC Berkeley computer science, I went on to grad school at MIT. And when I entered the PhD program, um, I entered it with, with these two fellows, John Bickett um, and, and Sanjit, um, who, who are the founders of Meraki. Um, and we were both PhD students um, in the computer science department at MIT. And they started this, this small project called RoofNet um, that was really designed to kind of build this testbed to kind of research multi-hop wireless networks. Um, and in the process, they built this network throughout Cambridge that kind of gave community members and students access to the internet for free to be part of this testbed. Um, and I really kind of learned about the, the, the precursor to Meraki, you know, as a student, as a um, there, as well as kind of like knowing about that system and seeing those early kind of Meraki, you know, roofnet nodes at, at the time. And so I, that's where it kind of got in my radar and kind of Meraki became a company, you know, after John and Sanjit um, left the program after their masters to really found Meraki and see how far the technology could go. Um, and, you know, from there, I, I kind of knew knew that Meraki was gaining momentum and it was always something that was kind of like on my radar for when I finished school for, for what I would consider doing next. Wow. So you, you've been around since day one, pretty much. It was on your radar early on. Um, definitely not day one. When you look at the founding of Meraki, I joined several years into it. There, there are in fact, you know, a number of folks still at Meraki who, who are there day one. So I, I definitely am, am not in that, in that early group. But I joined relatively early before, you know, before we were selling hundreds of millions and, and, and being the name we are today. Right, right. Pre-acquisition. Yes, yes. Got it. So that's, that's so interesting. And I'm sure you, you have such a lens of the business because you've been around for so many years and you've watched it change in so many different iterations. You know, I want to ask at a very high level, maybe for folks out there who are like, I'm not sure what the engineering team does. Tell us, what, what does the engineering team do at Cisco Meraki? And I assume it's a bit unique because we have hardware engineers and software engineers. So kind of differentiating that for, for us. So as CTO, I lead our software engineering team, but there are in fact kind of like several other engineering teams throughout Meraki. You know, there's hardware engineering, there's engineering on our support teams and operations. And so... I, I don't. I don't necessarily have the entire engineering org reporting to me. Um, so engineering is pretty broad. The, the engineering team I'm focused on, um, focused mainly on kind of like the product engineering, and is, is roughly divided into several different groups. We have our kind of like our cloud platform engineering, which focuses on dashboard and all the systems and services needed um, to to have our cloud presence. And then you have our kind of product engineering group, which focuses on the per product firmware, test, um, performance, dashboard, they're kind of full stack teams, but they're, they're dedicated around the, those products. Um, and then we have a few kind of like centralized teams around security and user experience um, and things like that. Wow, that's a, that's a very broad scope. So thank you for breaking that down. I didn't realize how many different engineering teams there are within Meraki. A, a lot going on. Absolutely. But it's, you know, it, it's exciting if you, you know, one of the things that I think is really kind of unique about Meraki is that 
you know, we, 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 we're a SaaS company, but we also sell a physical product. Um, There's kind of like physical instantiation um, of, of, of kind of our mission of, and that can be really exciting to, you know, you're working on bringing sensors or bringing a new wireless access point to market. But there's there's both the physical thing you, you, you have that lights blink, you plug in, you can see it iterate, as well as the internal software on the device, as well as kind of the cloud backend component that you can see it checking into. Um, and I think that appeals to a lot of the engineers that that we that, that we attract to to Morocco. They they enjoy that kind of like physical presence in in addition to kind of like the, the pure software side. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, that kind of leads me into one of my next questions is, you know, the Bay Area, especially I'll use as an example, is a very competitive market for talent, right? There are a lot of startups here. There are a lot of tech companies. This is the hub. What differentiates Meraki from our competitors and why do engineers want to come here? Is it to your point, that combination of the physical product and, you know, the the software component what what's the secret sauce? Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things that um, excites people. If you know, to not just exist in kind of the pure virtual space. Um, I think a lot of the other things really relate to kind of our culture. Meraki is you know where we've we've grown a, a lot over the years, but we still kind of have you know we we still try to kind of be a team that's focused on kind of like empowering individual engineers to have a, a kind of large impact and to own kind of like big parts of the stack. Um, and if you're, you know, one of the things that motivates me as well as a lot of engineers is, is seeing kind of like your work get out there and seeing that impact. Um, at Meraki, you kind of have that front row seat where you're, the, the distance between kind of what you build and get it into people's hands is relatively short. Um, and the number of people whose hands it will go into is relatively large. And I think that's something that attracts a, a lot of people to Meraki. Um, the other one is, you know, Meraki is, I would say, a kind of relatively like humble, helpful, low ego, low politics culture. We're very, it's a very like helpful organization. Um, and it's a great place to kind of learn and expand your skill set. And I think this is like super important kind of at all stages of your career, especially when you're early in your career and you may not know kind of like exactly where you want to specialize and kind of having the freedom to take on, you know, projects that you, you are yet an expert in and having people who are really there to like help guide you along the way. Um, Meraki has a very kind of like helpful culture where, where people are less worried about stepping on each other's boundaries. And I think that's another draw for, for, for a lot of talent out there. Mm, yeah. I, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. I think talking about culture is something really important because while we have this uh, overarching umbrella culture, I would say at Meraki, and we have these incredible values, you know, be brave and everybody in, it is different across departments, right? I, I am in the sales team in U.S. public sector, and we have such a strong culture, and we've created something so cool, but I don't really get a lens into what is the culture of your team, Brett? Like, what have you cultivated, right? So you mentioned a couple things, which is, you know, humble and, and low ego and a great place to learn and expand your career set. What are some other things that you really want to hone in culture-wise as you develop and grow this team? I think the you know there there are a number of things that really differentiate um, the the Meraki culture. 
I think I think it's one of those things is you know we want to give the freedom to to people to really kind of like drive their careers. We give people a lot of freedom to kind of like you know raise their hand if they're if they're if they're saying hey I want to try something you know dramatically new and, and move on to a different team. I'm a big fan of kind of like talent mobility. This 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 is moving kind of domains as well as kind of like type of role, whether it's you know into management or even from management back to being. Um, and IC. We kind of view those as like two parallel tracks. Neither one is more prestigious than the other. It's just that you focus on different things. And I think that kind of, you know, kind of almost like egalitarianism between whether it's management or ICs is, is something that we, you know, we want to cultivate and something that where we, we don't want to kind of like obsess over people's titles. It's really about kind of ideas and kind of like those good ideas can come from anywhere. And usually they come from people who are like highly motivated and excited, you know, to wake up every day and do their job. And so we place a, a big emphasis on, on, on kind of like having that discussion on how can you shape your role to be something you're excited about. And that's not to say that like we always have, you know, perfect flexibility for everyone, but it's something that we, we try to cultivate. I think the other thing is we, we tend to be very much more grassroots for a lot of a lot of the ideas, you know, not every roadmap idea comes top down. We really want to cultivate kind of engineers being close to the problem, coming up with novel solutions, and also seeing something that maybe maybe we're, we're not quite hearing through our normal channels. And I think that's important because it kind of gives you that sense of ownership over the product that you're working on, that kind of like your voice is just as important as a product manager's voice. Um, and, and that that's... When, when, when I was a software engineer as an individual contributor, that was hugely motivating to me. And that's something that I really want to keep in the culture, even as we get bigger and we have more structure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that rings so true, right? If folks show up to work and there's a level of psychological safety, right, and they're able to bring their ideas to the table and cultivate their own roles and bring ideas and everyone's voice is heard, that just speaks to retention, right? Those in individuals are going to want to stay within an organization. So I'm so glad uh, that you called that out. Uh, and to your point, you know, driving their own careers and Meraki's engineering team giving the flexibility when they can of switching teams or coming back or trying out management, right? Like sometimes career paths aren't always linear, right? And there are bumps in the road. So it's really cool to hear that your organization does offer that type of flexibility. I want to transition here and talk a little bit about who is on your team of engineers, right? Who is your team made up of? And I think this is a good opportunity to, to look into and chat a little bit about, you know, DNI efforts within your organization. I think it's no surprise that traditionally or in the last, you know, decade or two, engineering has been mostly male dominated. So in terms of recruiting efforts and talent and uh, cultivating not only a diverse candidate pool, but creating that um, inclusive culture once you've hired that talent, how are you kind of thinking about that as you're leading the, the organization? Yeah, this is such an important topic. Um, and, you know, we, we all have so much kind of work to do and it's kind of work across so many different levels because there there is no really kind of like silver bullet. Um, it really requires kind of like focus and dedication over a long period of time, 
over kind of like all stages of the pipeline, you know, including kind of like how people, you know, once people get here and making sure you have that inclusive culture. So this is something that um, we're, we're engaged on at many levels, um, but it, it, it's something that's going to play out over 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 many years that, that we'll be working towards it. There's, there are several things that I think make a difference. First, when it comes to recruiting, not not going to just the kind of like the usual suspects for com- computer science, you know, the, the U.S. News and World Report's top X computer science programs, because, it, 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 you know, there are a lot of great engineers that don't go to those schools. Um, and in fact, kind of like your diversity profile can be improved greatly by by focusing on far more um, than those schools. And so that's one of the things that we start to, you know, kind of refine our program is kind of targeting specific schools that we think will kind of enhance enhance the, the, the diversity of the team that we think are particularly strong in any given area and try to be kind of try to be a little contrarian. If, if, if there's one school is really on the map and every other company is recruiting there, we'll, we'll try to look for, for another, another school. I think it's also about kind of like building partnerships with kind of organizations on, on campus. Um, if we're doing the, the campus recruiting, whether it's the Society of Women Engineers or other groups that can help us kind of tell our story and kind of partner and to be clear that like this is this is a great place for, for people um, of all backgrounds. But it's it's more than just kind of the recruiting pipeline. You have to look at really every step along the way because bias can can creep in. And so looking at how how we write up our job descriptions putting them through Textio to kind of like understand, are we using overly male terms? Are we, are we not using inclusive language enough? It involves um, putting the team through kind of bias training so that people understand their own unconscious bias that kind of permeates so much of what we do and like what are some strategies to lessen that? Um, and then it's really looking at qualifications. Um, Sometimes you can be a bit over-selective for the role. Um, and when you, when you kind of like step a, take a step back and you look at people who are successful in their careers here at Meraki or elsewhere, and you look at their backgrounds and you look at kind of what they do day to day, and then you kind of reflect on that against the job description, and you, oftentimes you come out and you're like, wait a minute, you know, these people didn't have this exact profile, but they're doing amazing here. Why is that? What are we, what are we undervaluing? What are we overvaluing? And so that, that causes you to refine that job description and, and kind of open the aperture and, and bring in more candidates with kind of the classic computer science background, as well as those who maybe do not, because it turns out you can be quite successful from a variety of backgrounds. It's not just that computer science education. And then once they're here, it's really about making sure that this is a place that is rewarding for, is, is rewarding for, for people in their careers kind of, of all backgrounds. And I think... I think what we've seen is that sometimes like kind of diverse communities might might feel the impacts of this more, but you know, making a, a more inclusive place actually helps everyone. Feeling like you can speak up when there's a problem, being an ally, making sure that people, you know, it's not just kind of like the major incidents, but even the microaggressions really can kind of degrade whether or not this is a a place that everyone wants to be. And so you really have to think about it at all these different levels. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a loaded question, no doubt, and it's very layered. There's not, you know, to your point, I think you said it when we, you first started responding to the question. It's it's complex. It's not a single answer, and it it 
it adapts over time, right? And I think the subject of diversity and inclusion is ever changing and we're learning more, right? Every day. And once we know better, we do better. Uh, I guess my question to you is, you know, since you've been in seat and taken role, how have you seen uh, the recruiting efforts change in terms of the candidates and our pool? Uh, would you say that you've seen improvement uh, across the board in terms of um, kind of cultivating a more diverse candidate pool and keeping those candidates here at Meraki? Absolutely. We've been, I would say, much more intentional. Like the, the early days, it was really around just we, we need to find engineers that kind of like know a specific skill set. And if you if you don't put much effort into um, kind of broadening the pipeline, I mean, it's not going to, to change very much. Um, and so today when we, when we go after kind of, especially kind of more senior roles, because getting kind of diversity in your leadership um, is, is one, of, one, of, one of the levers that can make a real difference because bringing people in who, who have different backgrounds, like one, that representation is powerful um, it's also kind of it can, it can they bring in their own network, which, which oftentimes is more diverse as well. And so when we when we go to, for, to start recruiting for a role, we're we're kind of much more thoughtful around like how do we make sure that the the pipeline and the candidates represent actually kind of what's what the market exists out there in, in reality, as well as kind of like what the, what the direction is that we want to take our team from a DNI perspective. So it, it starts right at the kind of intake. Um, for a, for a new role, and then it's it's going going from there. It's it's really kind of coming up with a strategy, whether it's early in career or something more senior, to to figure out how do you how do you kind of break through and, and make sure that you kind of reach out to those different groups and that you can reach out in an authentic way, so it doesn't it, that, that that you can be clear that like that these are groups that you want here and you want them here for the right reasons. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for for diving into that. And it's wonderful to hear that you've seen a noticeable uh, change and that in your department, um, you become much more intentional, right, about your recruiting efforts. That's awesome to hear. Uh, you know, uh, if we're talking about the, the engineers that we're hiring and bringing into this organization, you know, tell us a little bit like what impact um, do the engineers have at Meraki and what kind of problems does your team get to solve? I mean, I'm sure it varies, right? Depending on what what project they're working on, but could could you explain that a little bit more to us? Yeah, definitely. But I mean, this is what what's so exciting about engineering, and this is one of the things that I think kind of Meraki Meraki today is probably much better than Meraki of yesteryear. Um, the the scope of problems that we have to solve um, is just so much larger and richer. Um, and so we have we have we have room for generalists. We have room for specialists. Um, we have room for early in career. We have room for kind of people later in their career. Um, and, and that's that's kind of what what makes kind of like finding your your place at Meraki kind of like there, there's definitely much more of an opportunity to really find that that great fit. Um, and so like it, it ranges the actual problems we solve. It really depends on kind of like the team that you're you're focused on. So on our uh, on our camera team, for example, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of low level details around like, how do you optimize the, the codecs that we use for, for producing video streams? Um, there's kind of AML and AI workflows that we have to build. If you're an infrastructure in, engineer, there's lots of deep challenges around how do we kind of 
build out a you know our modern microservices based architecture? How do we expand this into further around the world so that we are closer to our customers? If you care a lot about kind of deep networking, you know, as our customers are, are building bigger and bigger networks, um, how do we scale up our VPN technology um, and, and do so in a cost efficient manner to, to to make sure we're we're, we're building out our, our routing core as as we need to? And so like the skill sets we we need are just vast and you know some of them are kind of learned once you get here and some of them you know people come with great expertise and that's what makes it kind of an exciting team to to join yeah a hundred percent i can i mean i can speak to i've been at the organization for almost four years now which is wild time flies when you're having fun but you know our our customers in u.s public sector and who we're selling to and the problems that we're trying to solve uh and you know us growing absolutely up market is just indicative of where our business is going, right? The larger deals, larger scale, more complex environments. So I've seen that change, you know, even in the last four years, uh, which is really exciting, right? I love it. I want to ask you, I guess, a little bit more personal of a question, Brad. I mean, stepping into this role, starting at Meraki, then transitioning and, you know, becoming the CTO of this organization, what have you learned about yourself or what's something super surprising about the role maybe that you would have had no idea before you stepped into it? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say probably like before I became kind of like CTO, VP of engineering here, you know, my, my image in my head of what that person does is kind of like, they're like chief engineer. They, you know, they're the one who needs to solve the hardest problems um, and, and be, you know, at the clutch moment. But the reality is like, if I have to, like that's the kind of the last thing that, that really I should be focused on kind of like in my role. Like I'm, I'm really thinking like I'm there to debug the organization as it is today, as well as think, you know, kind of tomorrow, how do I prepare the organization for what's coming? Um, and then, you know, kind of be the glue between my organization and the rest of the organization at Meraki and Cisco. And that role itself has kind of evolved quite a bit over time. Um, when I when I took over, Meraki was a was a was a much smaller team, um, and today it's an order of magnitude bigger. Um, and what's what's important, kind of at this scale, is really thinking about. How do we how do we scale? How do we communicate effectively? And how do we make this a place that is, you know, fantastic place to like start, grow, you know, kind of be, you know, your career? Um, because that's really the bedrock of of a successful organization. If you have people engaged, if you're people who believe in the mission and believe this is good for not only kind of like society, but also good for themselves, but you're going to have an engaged workforce that, that is excited to come in every day and they're going to build great products. And so a lot of what I spend my time thinking about these days is how do we maintain that as we you know grow the next order of magnitude um, and, and making it still like an amazing place to be your, your average engineer, your average manager, because those are, those are the folks that, that I, that I really, really want want to make sure we can retain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so important. And I'm, it's, it's great to hear that that's kind of your, your focus and your lens. I mean, what is, what does a day in the life look like for you? You kind of mentioned before you had this image that your, your job was going to be one way and then you get into the role and it's something totally different. I mean, how do you spend your time? How do you stay organized? I'm sure you have, you know, a million and one tasks ahead of you every day. One of them is making sure 
like I, you know, one, one of the roles is really kind of like having a high level view of what's going on and always looking for blind spots for the organization. So I, I spend a fair amount of my, my time understanding what either teams are working on, where they're headed, what problems they currently have, um, and making sure we can bring together the right people. Because when, when problems arise, like I'm usually not the one who ultimately solves it, but kind of making sure we, we, we have those connections that can happen. So I, I really see myself as kind of like, you know, the chief debugger for the organization. So I'm always asking myself, like, is the information flowing in the most efficient and effective manner between teams, individuals, leadership? How can we improve that? And, and throughout my meetings, they're, they're oftentimes designed to make sure I have some visibility into kind of like, what are the teams thinking about? How are they communicating? And when I see challenges, that's what kind of like causes me to adjust kind of my management cadence for either how I have updates, the policies for how we run the organization, what I talk about in my one-on-ones. Um, it's really around thinking through like, what is the right information flow that kind of keeps the organization functioning. Because as you get bigger, that collaboration gets harder. The number of connections becomes much harder to manage. And so we have to be much more thoughtful about how we do it. So I I honestly spend a lot of my time thinking about that. And even if the meetings aren't about that, that's what I'm thinking about as well. Um, I would say the other thing is just thinking about kind of the building the right kind of like muscle kind of muscle memory in the organization for how we execute on planning, how we think about what we want to do next, for how we analyze failures, for how we you know, adjust and balance um, quality and security and reliability. And I see myself as kind of creating at some level the gravitational pull that we need to kind of like make sure we're aligning everyone in the same direction around our kind of like, what are our values? What are the standards related to these areas? Um, through like the questions I ask, as well as the kind of like, even the, the meetings I put on the calendar signal, like what's important to me and, and what's what I want to be important to the rest of the organization. So kind of being thoughtful about that and realizing that like what I did two years ago is probably gonna have to change completely over the next year because we're just operating at a different scale with, with different groups of people. Right, right. It's it, you're the chief debugger. That was my main takeaway. Change your title on LinkedIn. I love it. Yeah. Um, there we go. Yeah, I think it's it's so crucial that you are thinking about, you know, what are our blind spots as an organization? If problems arise, how can we effectively communicate? I mean, to your point, the larger we get and the more we grow, that stuff gets really hard and it's hard to get stuff done, right? And work uh, cross-functionally with different teams. And so you having that lens and thinking ahead of like, uh, you know, the problem, what are the problems of tomorrow going to be is is really helpful to, uh, to hear. I guess that teased me up for what I wanted to talk to you about, which is your, your larger vision for the department. Um, what does the engineering org look like three, four or five years down the road? Um, and what's kind of your plan to go against executing that vision? This is something that is important to think about, but it's also important to stay flexible because every time I think I have, you know, a three-year, five-year plan, kind of reality inserts itself and, and like you have to adjust, but you always need something to kind of work off of to adjust from. Like when I think of kind of like, 
engineering and how it's grown is kind of early on we we kind of you know we were kind of like had a very kind of like lean startup motion where kind of like every team was was kind of like full stack and the there was you know kind of being a generalist was kind of very much kind of like what kind of worked the best for the kind of early days of Meraki because you had needed to wear so many different hats and the priority was moving as quickly as possible. You know, as we've grown and as we continue to grow, kind of we're going to have to kind of maintain the you know innovation motion and, and make space for that. Um, but at the same time, we, we also need to kind of support a rapidly expanding business kind of that demands kind of like predictability kind of when you're operating kind of like at the scale that Cisco um, operates. And so when I look at kind of like crafting the organization, I, I, I look towards making sure that we can, we can fulfill both of those missions around kind of like innovation as well as around on scale and kind of reliability and kind of meeting like the diverse needs that comes with kind of like the, the huge number of customers that we serve. And so that's, that's kind of like, Kind of the the kind of what what guides me as I make kind of like org design decisions, and what we're seeing is that what we need to do is is we we need to, the organization is going to grow so that it's kind of less kind of like tightly coupled, so that there's kind of more you know kind of autonomy, but as well as there there's an ability to like have like clearly defined contracts between the various groups within engineering, um, and so what that means is is that you'll you'll have kind of I would say a bit more specialization within org within engineering, as well as kind of like clear rules of the road for, for how we collaborate. Because once you reach the scale of hundreds and eventually thousands of engineers, kind of like navigating that collaboration landscape is really what's gonna determine your success as an organization. And that's something that kind of my leadership team is constantly thinking around as we, as we, as we kind of refactor the organization you know, every, every couple of years. And so this is, this is something that, that we're definitely marching towards. Right. No small feat. That's for sure. You know, I, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Brett. I think we, we got one more question that I'll wrap it up with kind of a call to action of some sort. So for those listeners out there today who maybe feel inspired, um, and, uh, are in a different segment of business or are interested in engineering now at Meraki, um, maybe who don't even know where to start, who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I guess, what advice do you have for folks out there? Yeah, I think the, the advice I'd have is that if you're excited about engineering, making that transition into kind of an engineering role is more accessible than it has ever been. Whether whether it's um, through kind of like online learning, whether it's through boot camps, um, whether it's um, through through kind of like going back to school. What I've seen kind of like over the, over the coming years is so many incredibly successful, talented, thoughtful engineers that, that come from a wide range of backgrounds that really all it takes is kind of like an excitement for the technology and, and, and kind of potentially a little bit of extra work to kind of like deepen your skill set if you, if you don't quite have any programming experience, any development experience um, to kind of be part of this. But kind of more than that is like as Meraki has grown, like the, the range of roles that we have inside the, the engineering team for sure you know, has expanded enormously, whether it's on the security team or user experience team, operations, 
Um, there, there are many more roles than, than just maybe the classic kind of I write software all day long type of role. And so if you're excited to be part of this team, part of this mission, um, I, I really encourage you to, you know, one, look for us at various events, whether they're campus related or in the community related to, you know, talk to people about like their experiences at Meraki and, and hear about kind of like the range of opportunities and always kind of, you know, check out that jobs page because the roles are constantly kind of changing and expanding. And, you know, once you're, once you're, you know, reaching out and talking to a recruiter, you quickly learn that it takes so many different types of people to make a company like Meraki successful. Um, and that if you're excited to be here, um, there, there chances are there's probably a spot where you can, you can start your journey and kind of where it ends up is really up to you. Yes. It is an incredible place to start a career. Uh, there is no doubt about that. Um, well, Brett, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. I have a lot of notes. This was really insightful. Uh, and thank you for giving our listeners a lens into the the engineering organization at Meraki. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. I, I really enjoyed being here. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our show today. Again, special thanks to our CTO, Brett, for coming on. Uh, this is Sammy Brenner with the Meraki Unbox podcast. Be sure that you subscribe, tell all your friends and family about how awesome this podcast is. We want as many listeners as possible. And we will be back in two weeks with even more great content. So take care, everyone. Be safe. 